0: Oh, do you know what I just thought of, Ern? This is our last recording of 2020.
1: I don't care what people say 2021 going to be better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got to be, right? It's got to be better. We'll have this podcast to get us through. Yes. And maybe we'll share it and other people will have it too. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Armchair Agents. I'm Agent Skurd, here with Agent Earn. Hello. And today, Ern is going to tell us about a very interesting Jane Doe case in which she got perhaps one of the more unfortunate Jane Doe nicknames I've ever heard of Little Miss Nobody. So if you want to dig into a long, cold case, why don't you come sit with us?
1: This case really caught my attention about a year ago because it was reopened in 2018. So as I was kind of like looking around, finding new cases to look into, I found this one. And I just the fact that it was reopened caught my attention and made me dig deeper because there's got to be something there, right? Like what?
0: Right. (laughs) Why else would they
1: reopen it after 60 years? Or how long was it?
0: Oh, geez. Yeah. 58 years. You're right.
1: Okay, I follow the work of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the MCMEC, and they took an interest in this case over the years and have been helping to fund efforts for Little Miss Nobody's story to be understood and hopefully for justice to be served for her. So they um, exhumed her body and did a remake up of like her what is it called the picture.
0: You know her picture. her picture oh god they have a fancy name for it though <laughs> don't they
1: yes and so they had new technology to study her dna to know her genetic background to help them do a, a more accurate composite sketch so that's basically mm-hmm. what they're looking to do
0: and that's why they reopened it in 2018 right
1: yes yeah mm-hmm. they had that new sketch that they were hoping would maybe jog somebody's memory so i work pretty closely with girls who have been exploited And I've told you before, that's probably why I gravitate toward these cases, is that I feel like I know little bits of their story. Mm -hmm. And I love and care for girls who could have ended up walking the same path. And so it's something that just really hits home. And I feel like researching the cases gives me kind of a healthy outlet to help people from a distance to understand cases details can help me understand the girls that I work with on a daily basis. And I guess like in a way that grounds me in my work as a foster mom and working with teen girls and exploited girls it makes the puzzle pieces fitting together feel more important and we always talk about cases like this that these are our crossword puzzles and oh yeah they are but i know you and i both spend hours poring over these and crying for the victims hoping that by keeping their story alive we're doing them some justice and cases like this especially jane does and minority children that have almost no news coverage need us to keep talking about them because that's how a lot of them are solved, is by keeping their story alive. And we have victims like John Binet, who that just happens naturally for her. She has new documentaries about her case come up every few years, and that's wonderful. Like, I love that and that her story is staying alive so that puzzle pieces keep getting put in place. Fresh eyes are constantly looking into it. But Jane Doe's also deserve that. And so I hope that over the course of Armchair Agents as a podcast, we talk about Jane Doe's frequently because I just feel like it's important.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it really is. Honestly, I've never gotten too much into Jane Doe cases, but now researching this one and using like the NamUs database, I am hooked. Oh my gosh. You can search by like any criteria and pull up years or peep like different kinds of people and just, oh my goodness, it was heartbreaking. It was so interesting, but I found myself scrolling through different cases, reading all the details that they had for hours or sometimes looking at like how few details they had for different people. And uh, like that broke my heart more was like some of them had like, oh, here's where they were found. And like no other details about anything. And I'm like, yeah. oh, this is, wow, that's awful. So I, while well, I was like, oh, Jane Doe case, like this should be, we'll see what we can find on it. The more I looked into it, the more I'm like, oh, I, I see why, why she was interested in this one.
1: Yeah. So tell
0: us about Little Miss Nobody. What do we know about her?
1: Normally when we talk, we talk about victimology, which would be all the background on the victim. And we don't have that. So we just have to start with, the timeline of when she was found and that's all that we have so july 31st 1960 little miss nobody was found in congress arizona off of highway 93 and old alamo road which is a main route between phoenix and las vegas i don't know if you looked at the map it seems like phoenix i've never been to phoenix have you i have so it seems like phoenix exists and then it's like nothingness outside of the city limits is that
0: right it just that's exactly fun. right yep <laughs> Yeah, we went from Phoenix to Tucson once, and it was absolutely driving through nothing for an hour and a half, and then bam, another city. And Phoenix especially is very unsettling. Like, we'd go hiking there, and I always felt like I was on another planet.
1: Yeah, so that's the climate that she was found in. It's very desert-like, rocky and sandy. It's like three hours from Joshua Tree, which is a national park, and then three and a half hours from the Grand Canyon. So kind of like right in the middle of those two, which are both very desert-like. She was found by a rock-hunting school teacher from Las Vegas named Russell Allen, which makes me like, ugh, I'm super outdoorsy, but that makes me never want to leave the house. <laughs> like, can you just imagine him? Yeah, that's
0: the risks of going for that's a hike. Like the risks
1: that you take. But also, he helped find this little girl who needed to be found. And so, like, he got to be yes. something greater, but I don't know if I could handle that role.
0: I don't really need that greatness, but... Yeah
1: but somebody needs to do it. <laughs> yes. So,
0: Thank you, Russell.
1: She was half buried in the sand um, and there were two other holes nearby, which indicated that someone else was with her when she died and that she was buried intentionally. And there are some questions of why the two other holes wouldn't suffice. Some people think that that means that she was well-loved and that the person who was burying her wanted to like find the perfect resting spot for her. She was wearing white shorts, a checkered blouse, adult flip-flops that had been cut down to fit her feet, and she had nail polish on.
0: The flip-flops are what broke my heart the most.
1: I know.
0: Seeing pictures of them, like flip-flops cut off cut off her tiny feet. Oh,
1: Yeah, and they had like, uh, twine on the back so that they wouldn't fall off of her little foot. I know. Yeah. The medical examiner could not determine the cause of death, but they determined initially that... She had been there and dead for about one to two weeks when she was found. Even though no one knew who she was or where she came from, the little town, um, I cried reading about how much they took care of her.
0: Oh, yeah, they did so much good for her.
1: Not related, but maybe we'll do this case at some point. There was another Jane Doe case where the officer who found her or who was involved in the case his wife and he legally adopted this little Jane Doe so that they could give her a proper burial and like be in charge of her, you know, her being taken care of. And I felt like this town was just like that. Like they did everything that they could to respect her and honor her in the only way that they could.
0: Was it like a radio DJ that brought the most attention to her case?
1: Yeah, he talked Mm -hmm. about it, which I would be curious to know how wide reaching his audience was.
0: I don't know, but he really... I think that's what raised the money for yeah. her funeral. And if I recall correctly, I think he's the one who coined the Little Miss Nobody name. Yeah. So, several good strikes, minus that one, which I think is just... The, why would you pick that name? I feel like, thank you for doing everything yeah, you did, City. I
1: guess the name is horrific, and it's also like meant to, to make people say no to it. You know, They gave her a name that would make people... Feel offended so that they would help fight for her.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the, like the way it describes it is perfect in that it does make you like, oh. Yeah. So in that way, it, it fits perfectly. Right. It gives
1: mm-hmm. people like this fire to fight for her and to help find justice for her beyond just little Miss Nobody. Jane Doe names for kids are always just sad. Oh, absolutely. Like B Doe is another Jane Doe. Oh, it's horrible. So her funeral was held August 10th, um, so a little bit of time after they found her, which I think they were probably waiting to figure out if they could find who her family was. The reverend who performed her funeral said at her service, here is a little wanderer who has been in our midst. We don't know her name, we can only guess her age. It occurs to me we may not know, but God knows. There are no unknowns, no orphans in God's world. She doesn't need a name today. She has a name of an angel somewhere in eternity and more than 70 people attended her service and i felt like that reverend did a great job describing her like it was just so tender love yeah just seems fitting to me with her little flip-flops like making references to just like the couple of details that we have about her right
0: yeah, they really described her with a very good like heart punch. So you can tell the city was really affected by this and really wanted to like honor this little girl that they really didn't know anything about. I mean, they couldn't really even determine her age, like he had mentioned. Yes. I've read anywhere from 1 to 12 to 3 to 6 to, like, well, probably 4 to 7. And it's like, oh.
1: Yeah. So when they first opened the case, they thought she was between 5 to 7 years old. And I thought this was strange because I saw it said but then they saw upon further examination that she had a full set of baby teeth Mm -hmm. which means that she was probably younger which I'm like you didn't check that the first time when you were checking for her age yeah so I'm curious what that means like when they first opened the case they thought she was between five to seven years old is that the the officers first on scene that's what they said and then the medical examiner was like well
0: nope look at these teeth well now what age would it yeah. would a kid normally be when they start losing their baby teeth
1: like five to uh, five to six would be like losing your first tooth hmm. and then by nine you've lost most of them
0: yeah so probably she was on the younger spectrum of at least what i read
1: yeah i know i do know of some kids who have really odd like teeth timing <laughs> One of my friend's daughters, who came from just a really high trauma background, which might also fit with Little Miss Nobody, we don't actually Mm -hmm. know, she didn't get a tooth until she was 18 months old. Oh, wow. Which is like 14 months later than she should have. That's like a really late. And um, she was an abandoned baby that all that they knew about her was that instead of formula, she had been given Coke.
0: Coca-Cola? Better than the alternative?
1: Yes, her adopted mom always said, like, her body was just protecting those little Oh. Kids. Oh. <laughs> like, making sure that they didn't have... Oh, my gosh.
0: Soda. Coca-Cola, <laughs> and she survived. She did, yeah.
1: But I'm guessing those things are variable depending on genetics and diet and everything else. Like, teeth tiny. Yeah. So that's probably why there's such a big range. So they adjusted it and said she was between three to six years old. They also said she was between three foot six inches and four foot five inches, which is a really big range of height. Hmm. And I'm curious if when they exhumed her recently, if they could tell that better, because four feet five inches is a very big three-year-old.
0: Right, so yeah.
1: Having all your babies. It's just like a mystery, like... How does she have all her baby teeth but be this tall? <laughs> like, it's, I don't know.
0: I mean, add it to the mysteries list, too. I, yeah, I, as I know they found her, like, intact. I had also read, and I don't know if you saw this, too, some sources that I found said that she was buried sitting up. Oh. Did you see that at all? I only saw it in a couple places.
1: I saw some sources said that she, it looked like she had been burned. Like oh, yeah. Water, but it was just, like, singed. Mm. But that wasn't publicized. Widely, Like, that was kind of a fringe thing that I saw.
0: Yeah, I did read that, too. I think what struck me the most was when I was reading that, like, nameless entry of her, like, unidentified person. I noticed that it listed, like, her, you know, hair color, height, weight, or, like, expected weight. But then for eye color, it said unknown. And I read that, and I was like, I don't even want to think about why you wouldn't know that when you find a little girl's body in the desert
1: yeah it's like really gross but post-mortem your eyes actually turn black i think oh because there isn't blood flow
0: oh that's interesting because i read another when well, i'm just reading every art like instance on namus now i had read one of a a girl that they said they her eyes were brown but may have changed after death and I was like, what? Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, that's much better than the alternative that I was picturing in my mind. So thank you for putting that to rest.
1: I'm not sure what you were thinking, but I don't want to think about what you I were will thinking. not voice it. <laughs> so, so the next part of this case is where my, like, hackles, is that what it's called? Your hackles? Yes. Is that what it's called? Where they start to come up and I'm having, like, huge question marks about this case. Like, mm-hmm. huge. So her hair that was originally brown had been dyed auburn.
0: I knew you were gonna and say her, that, yes.
1: I know, and her nails had been recently painted bright red. Mm-hmm. And she had adult flip-flops that had been MacGyvered to fit her. So money was so hard to come by that they couldn't afford children's shoes. But they dyed her hair and painted her fingernails, and that has, like, red flags all over it to me.
0: Yeah, that just gives me goosebumps even now when you're saying it.
1: Yes. I guess the goosebumps are obviously coming from a place of assuming that she was being groomed by someone. I don't know what are your thoughts on that does that seem off
0: to you I mean not so much the nail polish because I mean I've painted your daughter's nails I painted my niece's nails when they were little they just like they love it as soon as they're gonna not stick their entire hands in their mouths like I feel like little girls want to have their nails painted so that's not as of a like as big of a red flag to me but you're right that like if they couldn't afford shoes why, why would she have her nails painted? And the hair dye aspect, of course, really stuck with me. That's actually what I dived into the most was uh, like a hair dye in the 1960s and in children. So I'll, I'll catch you up to speed on what I found there. But, you know, it, I've read that like, oh, maybe they were either trying to make her look quote unquote more presentable if like the poor thing was being trafficked or something but then i also read like well maybe if her family was like maybe illegal immigrants or something perhaps they were trying to like disguise that and make her look like more american by not having traditionally dark hair which right i don't think it would be convincing to anyone but okay It just, it does kind of give that connotation of creepiness and that like, oh, maybe she was being used in a way that wasn't appropriate for not only a child her age, but anyone.
1: Yes. So I looked into nail polish in the 1960s Mm. and I found that children never wore nail polish.
0: Really? What a good pair we are. You did the nail polish, I did the hair dye.
1: I know that's interesting. Didn't even bring they it would up. Wear clear nail polish on oh. very special occasions, but only if you were from a wealthy family. Really? And so I found that online, and then I asked around to all the older people that I know. Oh! Like so, tell me about nail polish when you were a kid. And and they all kind of said the same thing. Like, well, maybe clear nail polish for like a ballet recital. Hmm. But never anything colored. So. That really stuck out to me um, and it's funny like you said that the hair dye stuck out to you mm-hmm. but they they do seem just I both of them seem off with the flip-flops because there's a disconnect there like yeah absolutely gone. in the weeks and months that followed Alan's discovery of her investigators thought for sure her identity would be found. They said after all children don't just go missing. She had to have a mother who was sitting by the phone waiting for a call about her little girl who was taken or ran away, but nothing ever surfaced and years started to pass and still nothing surfaced. The police, I feel like they did travel to multiple states. They followed leads and did find a few potential matches to the description of Little Miss Nobody and they looked into them. I have one big question about the police if they continued to look into things as the years went on. Like, if they are revisiting it properly or not. But that's just from my, like, obviously looking at what they're doing from the outside. I'm not in their building with them seeing what they're doing.
0: (laughs) Over their shoulder. Hmm.
1: (laughs) I I wish I could
0: be. Oh, gosh, I know. Yeah, to be a fly on the wall. I mean, you had mentioned that they did exhume her body in 2018 to get DNA. Mm -hmm. As far as I could find, that DNA had, they had run it. That's like in the system, but it has like never returned any matches.
1: Yes. I think there's some privacy laws about like using Ancestry DNA's database. Yes. Which I wish that they could
0: there is one called ged match or i've heard people say like jed match or Gedmatch or something i think it's like ged match which is a like if you submit your dna to ancestry you can opt into having it shared with this company which is the one that the police databases are able oh, to reference very cool so i very much want to send my dna into yes, that
1: that would be interesting I have a couple of friends locally who found half-siblings through DNA services, so I know that there things are happening in the DNA world. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So one of the leads that the police looked into was Lester Davidson, who was the father of a homeless family. He had been seen hitchhiking in the area in July. He was questioned, but nothing came of it. August of 1960, they thought that she was Sharon Lee Galagos, who had been abducted from New Mexico 10 days prior to finding Little Miss Nobody. She had last been seen in the back of an alley by her house, literally being abducted by a man and a woman in broad daylight with other children around. Now, this man and woman, it seems like they had stalked her for possibly weeks, but at least one week. They were seen in her area looking at her. She had said that she was uncomfortable when she saw them with other children in the area. There was one girl who I think was like 10 years old who was playing with her, who Sharon went up to and said, can you hold me? I don't like those people. No. And then those people were the ones who ended up taking her. So she definitely had spidey senses out and knew that there was something. Mm -hmm. Um, She's never been found. But they decided, when they initially looked into it, that Little Miss Nobody was older than Sharon Lee, which is really confusing to me because Sharon Lee was four, mm-hmm. which fits in perfectly with the baby teeth.
0: Yeah, it really does. Looking mm-hmm. at her, her NamUs record, it's almost as vague as Little Miss Nobody's, which I thought was weird because like this was a child that had a name that people loved and knew stuff about. Mm-hmm. But when I look at her height, it just lists, two foot two inches to four foot two inches, and her weight is listed as 25 to 100 pounds, which on Uh one hand, like I understand for a public record, you want to be as broad as possible. So, like, none of your searches get excluded. But right, wouldn't they have known, like, exactly how tall she was? How much she weighed?
1: I guess not. So that's what I'm kind of feeling like possibly happened here, where there's, like, a... I don't want to say a misstep from law enforcement because like I said, I have no idea what their digging looked like, but it's very confusing because <laughs> Sharon Lee's mother, I don't think English was her first language. So there might have been mm. a big language barrier there. And she was a mother of multiple children. I want to say six. Oh. I don't have it written down. She was a housekeeper by trade and I think her mother or her sister lived with them. So There were two female adults living in a house with a big mess of kids and honestly if you ask me how much my kids weigh I have that was
0: mine. gonna be my next question like, like actually I don't have any idea how much a child weighs so
1: yeah I'm not sure so especially if it was asked in my like not first language
0: oh gosh no know. kidding <laughs> no kidding imagine oh, oh god the horror of trying to like report your child missing in not your first language
1: yes so her, so her mother's name, Sharon Lee's mother's name was Lupe Gallegos. And it seems to me that she wanted her daughter to still be alive and maybe pushed against the idea that Little Miss Nobody was in fact her daughter.
0: Seems oh. very natural
1: to me. Like, Absolutely. girl, no, that's not her. <laughs> like, right. Because oh, yeah. you definitely don't want that to be her. You don't want that to be her fate.
0: Goodness, so she no!
1: Tried to keep her daughter's story alive, and she continued to write newspapers and tried to get national attention. She said, especially after I knew she'd be able to read, I started writing it newspapers oh. more. So she essentially thought her daughter was kidnapped and being raised, going to school like in a normal life was mm-hmm. kind of the like perception that I got. But what did you find on Little Miss no- or on um, Little Miss Sharon? I guess
0: <laughs> Little Miss Sharon. <laughs> I only really read, like, of course, all of Reddit people talking about her and then, like, her in relation to the Little Miss Nobody case, which everywhere I looked, it said, oh, it it was determined that it it was not Sharon, but never could I find why. Yeah, why isn't it Sharon? Right, tell me why. If they only got her DNA in 2018, how, how? would they determine that it wasn't Sharon? Like, okay, they weren't sure the the race of Little Miss Nobody. She could have been white. She could have been Hispanic. And, like, yes. But now Sh- they know.
1: Like, now they know she's Hispanic, and so was Sharon Lee Gallagos.
0: Well, what the heck? Yeah, I just, I couldn't ever find. Yeah, it's all I've ever found is what you said, is that, like, police later released a statement that they believed the child was older than Sharon. Great. Like, I but believe why? a lot of stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> That doesn't I make don't sense. know. There were so many. That, and I do agree that like Sharon is the best match for it. I went. I <laughs> pulled up every NamUs record from 1955 to 1960 and read through every single one. And like, okay, most of them are like older individuals, which was equally disturbing. Almost to like, there are tons of like elderly women who went missing, and that was weird. Oh. But yeah, I do you search I don't know. the
1: area or just nationally?
0: I, sh- I searched originally in Arizona and all of the surrounding states sure. and tried to go from there. I did another search that I'll touch on later that I went through over a hundred and read them all. I can't help it. You know, once you start, you're just like, well, maybe it's the next one. Well, maybe it's the yeah. next one. I did read that they sent Little Miss Nobody's footprints quote, to Washington to help with her identification. Huh. So ma- apparently there, like, m- many babies were footprinted back in those days, oh. and they had, they kept all, all their foot records in our nation's capital, Which perhaps. Which is the same as a fingerprint? <laughs> yeah, I would say that your footprint is unique, at least an identifier. And so, like, hopefully, maybe that kind of work was done. But looking at like Sharon's picture, I mean we have one picture of her. Right. I don't know if you found any more and I she found seems two. Oh, you did. I oh, only found yeah. one. And it seemed to be like right in that that sweet spot where kids forget how to smile.
1: Right. Which that's I think so is cute.
0: like the most endearing thing yeah, when like suddenly spirit. It is, yeah. Like suddenly they don't know how to do it anymore. And I'm just like, yes, like I know this is temporary. Let's just enjoy it while it's here. So that's what I saw of Sharon. And then I was like, oh, then my heart fell out again. I don't know how any of it is left. And we're only four episodes in. But (laughs) I also read. So I went through the Arizona Republic newspaper. I'm sure I've mentioned this before. I have a newspapers.com membership and I love it. They're not paying us. They're welcome to in the future.
1: We accept all paid promotion inquiries.
0: Oh yeah. Especially if it's like data mining in some source, that's totally my jam or (laughs) ancestry.com. Come at me. But yeah, so I went through the Arizona Republic newspaper from the day she was found until she stopped appearing in the newspaper. And you had kind of alluded to that these Jane Doe cases don't get a ton of coverage. And I, like, at first I was pleasantly surprised that like, oh, she's been in the paper every day. She's been, like, on the first couple pages every day. I think she was in the paper until only, like, August 9th was the last day Mm -hmm. that I found her. Or maybe the first day she didn't appear. So it was, I know, maybe over a week that she was there. And, like, they, they kind of mentioned that they were following the lead of Lester and tracking him down. And then they mentioned that they were still looking. And I don't think they even got to talking about Sharon as a lead before mm-hmm. she, she fell off. But something that I found that I thought was really strange was in the December 17th, 1960 copy of the Arizona Republic, so there's like a story, I believe it's a fictional story that was published in the newspaper. It's about a little girl in a hospital that has leukemia and no Christmas presents. And it's like divulging how she's all alone on Christmas. And like, I, I, I assume it's supposed to be a Christmas story. And it's like, kind of, heartwarming because the like the whole story like oh like people find out that she's alone on Christmas so they bring her presents and like oh they bring gifts and they bring like lights to her room and like hooray like we did it like we brought this little girl joy on Christmas but what I thought was so strange was that they referred to that child as little miss nobody consistently throughout the whole story and then uh same paper, and uh, that's what got me started. Because I was like, okay, maybe it's from Phoenix. Like, okay, maybe they don't know about, uh, maybe they don't know about it. And then I went back, and I was like, no, oh, this is the paper that I was reading before, where they talked about huh. like finding her maybe body. Just thought and- it was catchy. I don't I don't know what they're trying to do it just like it made me so mad so like you can see in my notes of like what are they do they not know about this it was only five months ago no they definitely did they're the ones who ran the article and like I don't know I tried to give them grace because it was 1960 and clearly we didn't have the ability to do what we do now for discovery but to just like to leave Sharon even on well she's she's probably older than Sharon tell me more like have they ran her dna against sharon like do we have a relative of sharon on ancestry.com can we that's compare I them
1: she, sharon has to have relatives that the police could go to and say you are sharon's niece she had five other siblings
0: <laughs> yeah that's true yeah good point i'm trying to find i know there's a way like a fund that you can donate to to give money to do these dna tests like for all these oh, cold cases, you know what I'm talking I about
1: That at the end of my notes. Oh, good. The DNA dough project. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. So
0: there is the DNA dough project is a place that you actually can donate to help fund these DNA tests because I think maybe the whole problem is there's no funding for that. You know, if if the families aren't alive anymore, or especially if they're Jane Doe's and they don't know who their families are, there's just not funding to do all these DNA tests that you and I are like, Mm -hmm. why aren't they doing it?
1: (laughs) Yes, the DNA Doe Project, it's also run by volunteers who look into the cases just like we are right now, which I think is cool. There was a case called the Lavender Doe case. And Mm. it was solved by people on the internet in 2019, which is just like why we do what we do, right?
0: Yes, that's how I actually ended up finding the Doe Network, which I used for some of my research. Because I saw the story of the guy who founded the Doe Network became obsessed with a cold case and wanted to figure out who this person was. And he did. By this, like starting to use the internet when the internet was a baby. Yes. And then that led him to found the Doe Network, which I then used for my research. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's very cool.
1: Did you look at all into the Dudleys?
0: <laughs> Let me read you what I wrote for my notes for the Dudleys. <laughs> Under the header of, maybe it was... Sharon was number one. And I wrote, or that terrible, tragic story of the family that had, what, nine kids? The Dudley family. Oh, no, Deborah Dudley was eventually found in Kentucky. Yes. (laughs) That was the worst. Like, child abuse across the nation.
1: Yes. March 1961, they thought that Little Miss Nobody could be one of the ten Dudley children, like you said, Deborah Dudley. Kenneth and Irene Dudley lived in New York and have this stream of neglect follow them like the plague. If you get a chance to look up their picture, there's this famous picture of them sitting in court, and Irene looks so serene. It's like the freakiest thing I've ever seen. I feel like I had this thought of, should we cover that case? And then I thought, she looks so serene that I feel like her face in the courtroom talking about all of these neglect cases... Oh, you're going to say Casey Anthony. Is it (laughs) Casey Anthony? (laughs) No, it reminds me of, like little shooter oh. like there's just no mm-hmm. remorse like it's just this like i did what i did i just don't want to give her that i don't want to do a whole podcast about well,
0: Irene, Dudley it wasn't one of the to... worst things i've ever read <laughs> i will say that when i see those stories of people who are perhaps inappropriately stone-faced i really hope and i cross my fingers and i do my best to assume that they are mentally ill
1: yes Yes. So to like, do a just quick breeze over of the Dudleys. They had 10 children. One of their sons died at three months. One of their sons died at six years old of starvation. His parents buried his body and told nobody. And Kenneth served a year in prison for that, for improper burial of his son's body, not for killing his son, not for neglect or abuse, but for improper burial. Two older girls were out of the house and their parents loaded the remaining six kids into their car to join the carnival, which is like what my nightmares are made of, like just the carnival and these parents and the kids like being sick and not taken care of. So during their short time in the quote unquote carnival, I don't know if they actually were doing the carnival thing or if they were just driving across the country, they lost five out of their six children from abuse, neglect, and starvation. And all of these children were thrown out of their car, wrapped in blankets and canvas. Irene said of one of the kids, I thought she landed on a dump or something because I heard tin cans rattle. So like, they didn't even know where they were putting their kids, which, so that doesn't fit with Little Miss Nobody. Oh my gosh. Little Miss Nobody wasn't wrapped in a blanket or a canvas and she had some sort of burial from what we can tell. But authorities thought Little Miss Nobody could mm-hmm. be Deborah Dudley, who was three, but her body was later found in Kentucky. So the Dudleys did get apprehended, and they both blamed each other, which is just how it goes. That is, like, a huge side story, but but a pertinent one. But a
0: pertinent one. I mean, it came up all the yeah. time in, in researching this. In
1: 2018, the NCMEC, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, Did the DNA profile and exhumed Little Miss Nobody's Body to do a better job of her mock-up. That's what it's called.
0: (laughs) Oh. Um, Thank you for figuring that out. I knew composite wasn't right. Heritage,
1: etc. That's when they found out that she was in fact Hispanic. And it really did help to make a composite sketch. I felt like there was a complete difference. The sad thing is this is how many years later and now a lot of people who knew who she was are no longer with us. So that's the sad part that it took so long. The FBI and authorities aren't yet allowed because of privacy concerns to, to have access, but you talked about how they kind of can. But I'm just hoping that more and more people get their DNA tested so that cases like this can be figured out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I really hope this is one that a couple years down the road is more, like, true crime is becoming so popular, especially in the podcast world. I think the more that we bring light to these stories, the more there will be people like us that are like, I want want to give my DNA to that. Absolutely test me against everyone there. And so I, I really, really hope that somebody knows this this girl is related to her i mean i'm sure they don't know her because we know so little little about her it doesn't seem like this is a story that would have been passed down no, in her family which is piece. just awful like it
1: wouldn't solve that it, it would be another puzzle piece <sighs> So yeah, absolutely. those are the things that the police looked at and said that is not what happened. Those are the like possibilities that they saw and they said, no, that was mm-hmm. not Little Miss Nobody. I guess I keep coming back to the fact that she had her hair and her nails done and that she had adult flip right And yeah, I guess we could look at it through our lens.
0: Yeah, our lens is is very skewed, though. I kind of wonder if, like, the cutoff flip-flops, that could lead you to believe that, like, what if she was abducted and she just happened to not be wearing shoes? (laughs) And then the people who abducted her were like, oh, man, we're going to have to, like, trek through this desert for some unknown reason. And so they had to put shoes on her? I don't know. That seems, like, so... That seems even more strange than, like, uh, just a poor family... Who had an extra pair of shoes that they could yeah, give to their that daughter? One of the you know, the
1: reasons that Lupe Galagos said that it wasn't her daughter was that that was that wasn't the clothes that she was taken in, like the clothes that little Miss mm-hmm. Nobody was found in didn't match Sharon Lee Galagos' clothes. And so I think it makes sense that if somebody took a little girl, that they would dye her hair and change oh, her clothes, yeah. and they didn't have little kids' shoes. And so they just got rid of everything that, even if it wasn't Sharon Lee, but if they just got rid of everything that belonged to this little girl and tried to change Actually, her Actually, I had not considered that authorities for off.
0: some reason. That You're right. If you were to steal a child, maybe you would try to change their appearance and dye their hair or paint their. Well, I guess painting their nails wouldn't really do it. But what I researched about hair dye, I just don't know how they would have done that in 1960.
1: Yeah. Like sun in? Could you do it with peroxide? Because it said. What, what color did it say? Auburn?
0: Yeah, it says she had brown hair that appeared to be dyed auburn. So I went down, again, this rabbit hole trying to find why they thought that. Why did you think yeah. that? Why do you think her hair was dyed auburn? She's a small child. Like, that's not a conclusion you would jump to right away. Yeah, it had
1: to be pretty obvious, like, sun, like orange sun in or something. Like, you know, if you put peroxide in somebody with brown hair, it turns orange, doesn't it?
0: Oh, yeah, I've I've sun. I've done all like these things. In the sun. I've dyed my hair with everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it sounded like they made her hair not exactly lighter, but just more red. But again, this is just, you know, from articles or reading on the internet, which I couldn't find any source that says her hair was dyed auburn because, and then a reason yeah. for that. Her little body was out in the sun for one to two weeks. Like, maybe that did something to her hair. Yeah. But reading that, I just wanted to know Okay, was there a culture in nineteen sixty that had some kind of tradition of dyeing children's hair? Like in what situation could it have been feasible that someone would have dyed her hair at all? Not not even to say intentionally, but like how would Uh they was their hair dye in nineteen sixty you know? So let me tell you what I found out about coloring a child's hair. We're going to go back a a little bit because I, (laughs) I read a lot about hair dye and it's actually very fascinating. In history, attitudes towards hair color were mostly regional. So areas such as Asia or Africa where women traditionally had darker hair, blonde hair was like the cool exotic thing but exactly the opposite was happening in Europe where darkest brunette shades were like the most alluring and they were done with the earliest hair dyes. In the Roman Empire, sex workers were legally required to either bleach their hair blonde or wear blonde wigs and quote unquote respectable women would darken their hair intentionally with like plant extracts and minerals. Clearly there's there's no formal hair dye here, but like it's still part of the culture. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so red hair began appearing in the Dark Ages thanks to a spontaneous genetic mutation, with the first documented redhead being born in Scotland. For many years red hair was associated with being a witch, actually until red haired Queen Elizabeth I started her huh. reign. Then we quickly changed our minds. So in nineteen fifty, only seven in a hundred women colored their hair. And this was because Miss Clairol came out with the first popular hair dye in 1950. So you just start to see ads for it then, which were very, very cool to see, like, the first hair (laughs) dye ads. Uh, 1968 was the last year that Americans were required to have their hair color listed on their passports, as it became clear that, like, that kind of information was pointless, because suddenly women... Yeah, suddenly women started to have at-home access to dye their hair. I also learned that Lucille Ball had dyed her hair with henna, which is how she got her distinctive auburn shade, which is kind of what they said Little Miss Nobody had. She
1: would have had blonde hair. Like, she would have had to... Cause you couldn't dye brown hair with henna right
0: yeah yeah that's true i've only done henna like on my hands but you're right in that it wouldn't really make a difference on dark hair so maybe she had blonde hair and kind of stained it red that way mm-hmm. i never knew that i thought she had naturally red hair so i feel deceived. <laughs> <laughs> i also learned that like bold and bright hair colors became more popular after world war ii i actually found information about purple hair dye and they had like green streaks and it was like even like clipping streaks so you could have like bright colors and i would have never thought that there was punk colored hair in Uh the like 1950s 60s but they definitely had like some purple shades some blue shades after World War II, bright and bold colors just became a lot more popular in general, which kind of reflects like just the happiness and enthusiasm that people were feeling. Like they felt more at ease. They felt mm-hmm. more comfortable. They could finally think about something yeah. that wasn't like vitally life important. And it's like, oh, you
1: weren't having that bread rationed anymore. Thank you. Yeah. Our are back.
0: Right. Now let me dye my hair, which like I totally would do. What does all of this have to do with dyeing a child's hair in 1960? Nothing. I couldn't find any information on why you would dye a child's hair. I thought maybe it would be like a cultural thing that like, oh, some kind of culture did in this time to signify something. And I, I looked and I looked and I looked and all I could find was this like hair dye was still really new in 1960 okay the first box dye came out in 1950 but it really didn't gain traction for a while like it wasn't a commonplace thing even at that time so to think they would do it on a child seems even more out there
1: yeah people think it's strange that john have has her hair dyed people have this uh, i'm not saying it's right but people have this almost like guttural reaction of like her parents shouldn't have done that to her she was just a kid and that was how many years right. later and like
0: Thirty? Thirty-seven. Oh yeah, I mean, hair dyeing was much more commonplace in in Jaminet's time. So yeah. to think that like we judged it so harshly then, like it was weird then. Thirty plus uh-huh. years later, so it's like really an anomaly in 1960. So that I went deeper, <laughs> and I wanted to find if there were any. I mean, because all that hair dye research wasn't enough. All right. So after researching the hair dye in the 1960s, I thought, okay, this seems to be strange. Let's see if there's any other Jane Doe cases in which the unidentified had dyed hair. And I wanted to really see like if they were kids in this instance, especially around that time. Yes. I looked for it and I didn't find it. So I'm curious I what you saw. I only found a couple because- scraps but I will give them to you. <laughs> yes. Let me tell you what I found. I mean, <laughs> Please do. I, okay, so I tried to go for the time period. There was, as you mentioned, not a lot of... There's not even a lot of missing person stories of kids from like the late 50s, early 60s. Mm-hmm. So I, I found a couple may of 1968 a woman was found floating in the mississippi river in missouri they estimated she was anywhere from 25 to 45 years old and they stated her hair was dyed really dark but may have been light brown originally as far as i have found this woman was was never identified in november 1979 an unidentified woman was found outside of tucson so here we are in arizona again Uh, She was estimated to be Mm -hmm. around 17 to 22 years old and possibly Hispanic or Native American. She also had black hair that was dyed Auburn. In 1971, skeletal remains of a young female were found in Oregon. A forensic artist named Joyce Nagy created a clay facial reconstruction of her and nicknamed her Jane Annie Doe as, quote, she felt the likeness she created displayed features inspiring the name Annie. This girl was actually recently <laughs> identified in March of 2019 and Ern guess what her name was Annie Anne Marie Lehman, who uh, her family called Annie. That has nothing to do with hair dye. I just thought it was amazing.
1: That is amazing. So I
0: hope the woman who made that reconstruction knows that. Yes. And she probably is still like, oh, that that gave me it gave me goosebumps again just saying it. Like, she looked at the face she created and thought, oh, this looks like an Annie. Oh. And she was right. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I'm just, I'm very glad that one is identified. That's my little, like, light in this darkness that we're showing. But... The most interesting one that I found was that there was another unidentified girl found in the Grand Canyon in 1958. She was estimated to be between 11 and 14 years old, and she was nicknamed Little Miss X, and she also had dyed hair. But her hair was reddish brown and appeared to have been dyed lighter she was found without any clothes on there was a pile of clothes located near her body but those clothes seemed to be too big for her people have guessed that she could have been uh donis redmond who went by pinky pinky was like a 18 year old girl who went missing with her boyfriend maybe pinky was younger and her boyfriend was 18 but they went missing not too long before that and apparently this girl in the grand canyon had been found with like a like a face mirror compact mirror that had the initials p and r on it so they thought she could have been pinky but really pinkies and this girl's um just like height weight etc statistics features don't really match up so they don't really think it was pinky like it seems pretty possible that little miss x was misidentified due to being in the sun for Uh. so long that would have been the same as Little Miss Nobody. Exactly. Yeah. And this was around the same mm. area. This was only a couple of years beforehand. And it just seems like it's so easy to lock down features of a body that you find when those features just have to do with like violent sun mm-hmm. exposure. And it might not be what they actually looked like or how their hair was or, Mm -hmm. like you said, their eyes changed color or something like that. So it just makes it, like, really easy to not be able to identify people correctly. That's true. Yeah. We still have the nail polish. Oh, yeah. So you did did look into nail polish. Is there more other than... No,
1: it's very similar. It just, like, didn't exist for kids. Hmm. Like, it was... It's not culturally something that children would have done. Hmm. It'd be like shaving a kid's legs right now. You'd be like, whoa, you don't shave a four year old's legs. <laughs> whoa,
0: whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let him enjoy it. <laughs> so, are there any like positive circumstances in which this girl could have had painted nails and dyed hair? Not that I'm finding. I guess that's like one of the puzzle pieces, like
1: Maura Murray. Why did she have a rag stuffed in her tailpipe? Mm-hmm. Like it's just one of the puzzle pieces that just doesn't make sense right now until we have more pieces to to fit in it.
0: Yeah, we're just stuck holding this sense. rag like hmm. Yeah. Like your bottle of Baileys and vodka. Right. The confused look on our face. Very confusing. We'll get to you, Mara. We'll get to you. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs>
1: um, so the Mexican Revolution had happened previously, like a while before this. That had people fleeing the country and seeking safety in America. And the Southwest was perfect for ranching and mining. And it was just great job opportunities for Mexicans. And they entered legally and illegally. Mexico felt like their labor force was leaving their country in the 1920s. They actually had fields like full of food that were rotting because they didn't have a labor force to harvest the food. They felt like If they were going to succeed in the industrial revolution, they needed their laborers back. So the Mexican government actually put pressure on the United States to help keep their citizens. And so the Bracero program was put in place in 1942. And it was put in place to have, it kind of seems like it was the first of what we now have for people from South America traveling to the United States for short work contracts. Mm. So they were trying to limit labor crossing the border legally. But illegal immigrants continued to cross. Mexico came to America and said, "Like we would like our workers back, you need to give them back. And so the American government rounded people up and in like, I don't like to say it, but this is literally what the government called this program. And I feel like it's a derogatory word and I don't like to say it, but it was called Operation Wetback. And that was put in place in 1954. So that was six years before Little Miss Nobody. And in that government, Program or whatever it would be called, they picked up 1.1 million Mexicans living in America and dropped them in Mexico, not necessarily in their town of origin, just as long as they were back over the border. Wow. Like Mexico would be happy and they were happy. Have we come really any farther from that now?
0: Are we doing (laughs) any better?
1: Are we doing any better yet?
0: I don't know. Oh, wow.
1: So many of these people had been born in the United States and families were separated.
0: We're not doing any better.
1: So they were fighting to get no so they were fighting (laughs) to, to get back you know those people that were dropped in mexico were fighting to get back to america what they called home so there is a possibility that little miss nobody had a father or mother that were left in america like if she was brought to mexico with her father maybe they would cross the border trying to get home back to what they call home which would be america and if they were there illegally they wouldn't really want to claim her body because they might be deported I don't have any current statistics, like historical statistics, but currently, like in 2006, one refugee child died every day. And that's data put out by the United Nations. And that's pre-COVID statistics. So now the United Nations thinks that we can, pro- we, that we will probably attribute 6,000 more deaths this year because of COVID restrictions, not COVID itself, but lack of health care and assistance to refugees wow. during crises. Crisis children, refugee children, They always seem like they've been considered non-essential, making it likely that Little, Little Miss Nobody could have been crossing the border, maybe returning home or coming to America for the first time. And as a displaced child, she would have had people who loved her traveling with her, but they wouldn't have been able to give her the care that she needed to survive the dangerous trek. And the hair dye might come into place, like would they have dyed their hair to try and look more Western? But the nail polish still gets me... (laughs) Because that's like a luxury that wouldn't have been found a couple, you know, in the weeks Hmm, following the death of a migrant child crossing the border. Unless nail polish was popular in Mexico on children?
0: Maybe. Which I've not looked into. Maybe they were traveling with a group and someone happened to have it. Yeah. I think that is probably the most logical explanation and also perhaps the most heartbreaking in that, like, here's a family who is faced with just the worst decision you could ever imagine of like i can't bring up my child's death because i i'm in fear of either getting deported or something worse
1: i guess i'm kind of left with those two things that she was either crossing the border or that she was sharon lee galagos but and i guess the nail polish and the hair dye would have changed her identity And could have kept her hidden for both of those things. Yeah, that kind of
0: works for both situations. Yeah. Hopefully in the future we'll have more DNA available.
1: Yeah, back in the 60s they thought Little Miss Nobody was white. And it kills me to assume that they knew that Sharon Lee was Hispanic. And I think they wouldn't have done her justice looking into it.
0: Another very good point.
1: So I'm hoping that the DNA comparison is like that missing piece that we're just like
0: looking for. Oh man, I know. Well, now this, so what are your thoughts? Oh, well, (laughs) I, I kind of lean towards it not being shared and I lean towards more like the migrant option just because Mm -hmm. I just feel like we are missing a key piece in it. I feel like this is one where Mm -hmm. we just don't have the correct information Especially with her DNA being on file now and it's still not returning anything. I wonder, like, I would think it would have to be such a severe circumstance for you to not come forward for your child. You'd have to see this on the news, you know, it's on the radio. They're calling her Little Miss Nobody. Like, oh man. I couldn't wouldn't you just run in and be like no she has a name she's not a nobody you know like how hard like in that situation that oh god it just hurts my heart to think that like maybe there were people watching or reading and listening to this information and they just knew that like they weren't in a place where they could come forward with who she really was and Uh to me that doesn't say anything good and I think that If that were Sharon, that would be the best case scenario where, Mm -hmm. like, she was already a person who existed and was named and was loved. But for her to go unknown for so long, it just reeks of sadness and, like, just something, something that's not being brought to light. So I would think it would either be... A migrant family or it would be a really terrible sex trafficking situation so I'm inclined mm-hmm. to believe that she was part of a family who was just traveling maybe trying to either get back to Mexico or get to the somewhere in the States and they just couldn't like you said couldn't care for a child on such a long trek mm-hmm. which I think that's what the shoes point to the most is that like they had to travel a long distance and they needed the kid to like walk on her own because mm-hmm. they couldn't carry her the whole time. Maybe someone sacrificed their own shoes to give to her. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's how I'm like, ugh. yeah. I just like that, I think the shoes really lead me to believe that more than anything else. Because it seems like she was loved and cared for. Because if you were kidnapping a child, would you care to put shoes on them? Would you care to make those shoes fit? Would you care to put a strap on those shoes so that it stays on their foot? Maybe, if you don't want to attract attention, but... Yeah,
1: I guess I don't know. I guess not, because it's not like they would have been taking her
0: in restaurants or anything, because they wouldn't want her to be identified. Right, and if you kidnap a child, like, why would you have to walk through the desert? Maybe you didn't. Maybe they just, that's where she was buried, but to me, it, it does seem like they were walking by wherever she happened to be. Yeah. Especially with the several holes dug. Maybe they just underestimated how hard it was to dig. I do have information on safe haven
1: laws. Oh. A case like this where the Dudleys, you know, that kind of fits into. So the safe haven law is in 50 states and you can leave your very newborn child with authorities at a fire station, hospital, or a police station without any legal repercussions. Oh, that's what that is. So if you did this without the safe haven law, you would be charged with neglect or abandonment. And details vary from state to state, but generally, like, it has to be a very newborn child, like 72 hours. Mm-hmm. I'm sure this will come up time and time again, and with all of our different cases. But I think parents should be given the right for any age child to say, I can't actually do this anymore. And I think it would decrease child deaths dramatically and abuse dramatically because people aren't necessarily all capable of caring for a child. I feel like we see that it's really hard to adopt a dog and like you get all of these, you know, questions, and you have to fill out references.
0: Mm -hmm. And I
1: feel like kids are harder than dogs. And it's crazy to me that sometimes that isn't, you know, people's mental health isn't always considered. Like some people, the Dudleys shouldn't have had children, and they should have had the right to say like, we can't do this right now. (laughs) Like, can somebody take these nine kids because we can't do this right now?
0: Yeah, especially in the age before birth control. I mean, it would be really hard to... You wouldn't have the proper ability to, like, not get pregnant nine times, like we saw with the Dudleys. But seriously, even today, as we're recording, it's December 2020, I read a story today about a two-year-old boy who was abandoned at a Goodwill with a note. And that was it. Yeah, Like, it still happens. And it's like, I don't want to blame the parents because not everyone is equipped for that and that's okay like we should be able to be kinder in that situation so people don't feel like they have to abandon yeah. their toddler at a goodwill
1: yeah and obviously things like like arranged adoptions are a possibility but if you're not in the mental state to be able to feed a child or care for a child you might not be in the mental state to go through the paperwork of finding an adoptive family oh for sure or like contacting a lawyer right. who would do the work so I was actually this is a super side story but I was actually in the hospital in the like unit that has all the babies going through withdrawal Oh, from their mother's bad choices and one of the moms said I'm claiming safe haven law and I'm leaving the baby here and the nurses I'm in the I'm in the like nurse area with the babies And the nurses are arguing with her saying, no, What? like, no, you can take this baby home. And so, like, from the back of the room, I feel like I was just sitting in this rocking chair in the back. I was like, excuse me, excuse me. Like, (laughs) she will not take that baby home. Like, she said, she said she's not capable. Like, what are you putting this child at risk of if you try to convince her otherwise? Yeah. What is this Mm -hmm. law for? And they said, you know, Mm -hmm. they said to me, like, she should have done the proper paperwork and put the baby up for adoption like people's mental health isn't always there
0: especially for someone dealing with addiction yeah that
1: there would be more options for kids whose parents can't do it anymore that law would also fit with migrant children or like people who are in a place of refugee crisis to get care for their child not to separate yeah. them but like if you're trekking across the desert and your child is sick to be able to bring them to the hospital and not feel like you're going to be arrested for bringing
0: right. your child to the hospital yeah it astonishes me that we crack down harder on children in that in these kind of cases because they have absolutely nothing to do with it they're not at fault at all they did not bring themselves into the circumstance yeah why can't we just help them yeah Oh god, we should. We could go on this rant forever. We could. Let's not though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess this case is ending with this DNA. Like hopeful that it was reopened, and just like thankful that it was reopened, and now we're just waiting for more information we promise you that we will keep looking into this because we will not forget Little Miss Nobody and we will keep looking up her information and seeing what progress is being made. Yeah, I
0: wish I could stop thinking about all of these cases that we've researched, but I am completely incapable of that. (laughs) So what is our next case gonna be? So next month, I am thinking that we should look at the case of Kendrick Johnson, who, while we don't know him personally, has a personal connection to us and that he was found in his high school gym rolled up in a wrestling mat. Oh, my goodness. Had you heard about this one before? I haven't. So if, you, if you're a listener and you don't know,
1: Skurd and I were wrestling managers together. So we spent many, it's
0: many a day rolling up mats. or Bleaching mats. mats. Oh, yeah. Gosh, so much ringworm, guys. So much ringworm. It's so funny to look back on that and think that like, that's one of our fondest memories of our friendship, is spending hours and hours and hours in a gym with a wrestling team.
1: I feel like I don't
0: know this story,
1: but I already have an assumption about it.
0: I really don't know. I've, I've, <laughs> I've already researched it a little bit, and I, man, this one has so many weird components to it. Yeah, I
1: feel like it's going to stretch me. Because it's like
0: it seems personal. Yes, we will have to. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe our wrestling biases could work for us, or could work against us. But we'll find out next month. I have to already give it a goog. Let me see. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. I can't believe you hadn't heard of it. He was rolled up in a mat.
1: Ugh. Ah, and there's what is it called? CTC footage. I hate CTC footage.
0: Oh, (laughs) it's (laughs) It's disturbing. There's videos. His organs
1: were (laughs) missing. Yeah, yeah. That is crazy. It's been on my
0: list for a while. It's been on my list since we started this. It's one of the okay. I couldn't say this every month, but it's one of the weirder stories I've ever heard about. And like, I feel such a personal connection to it because i can picture ro- like they putting the mats away i can picture us climbing up yes. the mats and like i have pictures of us sitting on wrestling mats when we were teenagers yeah like in a mat room and picturing a mat room like you got to roll up the mats and put them yeah. in the a room yeah we just had like this weird garage door that opened into like a little cubby as i recall but that didn't stop us from going in there and climbing them yeah no I had, like, emo hair. I remember this perfectly. So to think that, like, a young boy lost his life in that situation that brought me so much joy, it's always stuck with me.
1: Yeah, that is really strange.
0: Well, I'm excited to hear what you think. I'll be ready next month to lead our charge on finding out more about Kendrick.
1: So thank you for joining us for Jane Doe, Little Miss Nobody. Uh, We hope that you have found it somewhat interesting, interesting enough to keep her story alive and to continue to research. And that's all that we can ask of people is that we try to keep these, you know, any victim's story alive. That's the best chance that they have at finding answers and at getting justice served. So we hope you join us next time for Kendrick Johnson. And in the meantime... Be safe. Don't do drugs. Stay
0: in school. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's a good message. Everyone, just just do your best. Just do the best that you can do. (laughs) (laughs) We love you. Thanks for listening.
1: She's my favorite. She's I think it's her. I think it's her.
0: <laughs> that's who I think it is. <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm going to use that.